Hey, I'm Elliot Jackson, and welcome to Reggie Radio. Before we get into the show, I want to say thank you so much for everyone who tuned in to our first episode with Greg Minar. Uh, we just got so much love and support. It's uh, really cool to see, and we did a giveaway to give back to all you guys who tuned in for the first week. So I want to say congratulations to Christian Rostrepo Mesa from Colombia. Nice job, and make sure you're on the lookout for more cool stuff. We want to do a lot of stuff like that. Really give back to the cycling community. So, moving on, we have. Um, well, I should definitely admit that that Greg Menar might have bribed me to put his episode out first. He said that it was quote his only chance to beat Loic this year. End quote. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm just kidding. Um, yeah, we have Loic Bruni. I, I'm so excited for you guys to hear this one. He is somebody that I always really admired when I was racing, just the way that he approaches riding and the deliberateness that he takes in really all parts of his life. It's really cool to me. So I know you guys will enjoy this. He, uh, he really kind of uh, was candid so I'm excited for you to hear it and without further ado uh, enjoy okay oh we're here we're here we made it um we're here with Loic <laughs> Loic Bruni super Bruni um yeah. welcome welcome to Reggie Radio Hello, Elliot. Thank you so much for having me. I'm, I'm happy to kill some time with you. Oh, yeah. Kill some time. You're not actually happy to be here. You're just trying to kill time. <laughs> yeah, I've, that's the truth, but I cannot say that. You know, it's bad. <laughs> yeah, you were saying that you've been super busy. Like, everyone else is uh, is mellow, but it seems like you're busy. Yeah, I don't know why or how I could explain it, but in this kind of uh, really quiet moment, racing-wise and training-wise, sponsors and stuff and even myself i want to stay kind of active and make the most of it and you say yes to a lot of things and then the request the request starts to pile up and then you have way too much to do and yeah that's the case at the moment i have like interviews videos for sponsors and like my own activations on on instagram and stuff that takes time and it's it's cool honestly it's cool yeah right do you feel extra pressure to do that stuff now no, you know what? At the beginning, I did it for fun, and then I heard like some sponsors were like, "Yeah, it's really good. We want to grow it. We want to help you." Blah blah. blah. I was like, mm, "Yeah, not really keen, you know, because I I want to keep it low, keep it simple and fun, and I don't want to do it for the numbers or for having good stats on hook it or whatever. I want to have <laughs> good time, and I want to have people with like enjoying with me, and it's a shit period anyway, so." It's not made to to do profits. It has, like, you know, I don't know. Yeah, right, right. Okay, so I want to I want to go way back. We're gonna talk about uh, the origin of Loic Bruni in this first part. <laughs> so, <laughs> super small Bruni. <laughs> yeah. um, Loic, your dad was one of the pioneers of downhill. How did he influence you as a kid? Yeah, my dad. He was like. It was there at the beginning, you know, the 90s. So when I see photos and stuff, I actually feel like we missed out on a really good time. Um, he was helping Nico. He was helping Fabian and stuff when they were super young. And I guess he just saw them growing up and becoming fast and professional. And with me, he just, he just did, the th- did the same thing. It just took me to the races with him. And then uh, he put me in a club where I had a lot of friends racing with me. And then... We, we had so many good times going to the races, like little crew of like 10, 11 years old kids uh, just being super dumb and just, you know, like the, <laughs> the thing I really miss at the moment because like life has changed and you don't ride for the same reasons anymore, you know? Mm. And um, and yeah, it just let me, gave me the worst the worst bikes you could, you could think of. Honestly, like the things I went in the back of the garage, like the well, not my size at all. The thing was breaking all the time. My godfather had to weld it every weekend. Like it was so <laughs> And yeah, that's that's how my dad put it like put me into this uh this world I would say and 
it made me try everything, cross country, BMX and stuff. And I just really, I liked everything, honestly. I didn't really know about cross country, <laughs> to be honest. <laughs> but BMX and I really liked that. Four cross at the time was super fun. And yeah, downhill, I was just good at it. So I, and I enjoyed it. So I kept going this way and took me to a nice spot now. Yeah. How old were you when you first, like, what was your first race? How old were you when you did My that? My very first race was when I was nine years old. It was, a, you know, Avalanche Cup. They used to have a series for kids. And I was alone. There was no other kids that young. So I won it. <laughs> <laughs> and that was the first time in Lyon. It was the one with the jumps and stuff. It was super fun, this race. Wow. So, like, was he uh, was he pretty pushy? What was kind of the advice he would give you? No, it was, like, I cannot say he was pushy because he was also racing and he was doing his thing. He did not even care if I was riding well or not. He was doing his race and I was just trying to do mine and watching the race of the, of the adults and stuff. And by the time it was my time to race, it would be super hard on me because I was riding like a cook, but... <laughs> it, was, it was not so helpful you know and it was just after afterwards giving me advices so i could try to build up like this for the next one but i was super young so i didn't really care and um yeah i just met a lot of friends on the way who i was riding with a lot and most of them were a little bit uh older so that took me to uh like a faster level right away because they were all faster than me you know when you're a kid you just you can't go super fast and then that helped a lot. Yeah. Yeah. Because you and Loris went to kindergarten together. So when did you guys like kind of start racing at the same time? Yeah. Loris was, I think he started even younger than me because uh, I remember being around him all the time. And like he, when we were super young and he was doing a little bit more cross country than me, but uh, our fathers are really close and really good friends. So we just hang out with them all the time and we just, went to the races together and then rode around the whole day at the same sidewalk, you know, and it was really good. Then we started to do more like actually downhill, actual downhill. And then until a few years ago, we really had a similar style, I would say, because we just grew up together and we were doing everything together. And mm. he's one of the guys who knows me the, uh, the best. And when some people hear us speak on the phone, they don't know if it's Loris or me, you know? So we are, <laughs> we are pretty much, a, we are a close version of each other, but, you know, it's funny, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Did, how did you guys know? I feel like it's interesting when you grow up with somebody like that and you both are trying to achieve, you know, you both wanted to race World Cups and stuff. When did that come about? When did you guys know that you wanted to, you know, compete at the highest level? So I was two years uh, ahead of Loris because I'm a little bit older and um, I was doing pretty good at the French Caps uh, in under 16 and or under 17, I don't know. And then I got into Lapia, you know, I was uh, offered this spot with Blinky and stuff. So, so good opportunity. Loris was riding Lapia too because he, his dad is a good friend of Nico. So we had the same bike already. And I got along super well with uh, my team manager and then he was asking me about other kids I might know or heard of that could be good for a junior when I would be elite. And Loris was around at the races, then they met, they liked each other. Loris was super fast on the national circuit. So um, we got in the same team in 2013, so in, on Napier. And then we realized we kind of made it to a, to a really good level. And it was so cool because we, we were together, you know. Hmm. It, was, it was insane. Then I don't know if around 2012, 13, we knew we could take it far. But one thing is sure is we had a really good time. And he was always a little bit uh, younger than me. So I was his model, I would say. And... Until he started to be really fast and as fast or faster than me, he would always say that I was better, I was faster, more style, more things, blah, blah, blah. Like he would always put himself down mm. until he realized he was super fast too. And then he, <laughs> he wanted to, to not be in my shadow anymore. He wanted to step out. 
and uh, and be Loris. And that's when it it was hard for our relationship because I wasn't used to it, and Loris was not. It was a little bit clumsy with with some stuff, you know. So it was hard. The rivalry the rivalry was born, and it was new. So we didn't know how to handle it because we were friends before rivals, and then it changed stuff. So it was it was weird. Yeah, how do you feel now? How do you feel about that relationship now? Now, I think we both got uh, some issues in 16 when he, it was his last year on Specialized um, because I got injured and then I was still really present in the team. I went to the races even though I wasn't, I wasn't racing. And he didn't like so much that I took even, even though I was not racing, I took a lot of space and I couldn't see that. I was pretty, I was like, yeah, it's me, it's blowing, blah, blah. And then I was <laughs> racing. So he was like, in the back of his mind, he was like, ah, he's, he felt that I was taking too much space, I think. Hmm. And um, when we started to have some hiding things, like he didn't tell me he would go to syndicate. I heard it from someone else. I was like, come on, dude. Then our coach was super close to him and I didn't like that. So some little tensions took it to a shit spot. Then we both realized in December 2016 that it was bad and we we loved each other. So we had to fix it. So we, we went for a drink somewhere in, uh, in Nice, I think. Just him and me. And we talked a little bit about all the things we thought the other one said or things that happened in our minds that were, most of them were bullshit, you know, but mm. it was a really good talk. And from there, we we started to be more mature about it. And yeah, just understood that it was our job now and we could beat each other, but we could still, still stay friends. And of course, things have changed, but we have to keep it. What we had was super, what we have is super precious. And yeah, we we made it and now it's, He's winning races, I'm winning races, and we're still really happy for each other when that happens. So it's cool. Yeah, that is. That's crazy. That's so mature. I feel like yeah. <laughs> most it people is, would be like, yeah, like, I don't like that guy. Yeah, it took so much efforts, though, and we were both caring about this relationship. So we made it, but it was close that we became not enemies, but from best friends to fuck you, man. So. <laughs> And so how did you get involved and start working with Jack? I didn't even know that he had been uh, Nico Buyo's mechanic. Yeah, Jacko has been there. He's like a fossil, you know, super old. Um, <laughs> he's been there since a long time. He was, yeah, Buyo's mechanic and Fabian's mechanic, a lot of different people. And then he was Danny's mechanic when he was junior and Blinky's mechanic and... I didn't really choose Jacko because I got into Lapierre and and the team manager was like, okay, Jacko, there is this new kid in the team. You're going to help him with his bike. It's not even being the mechanic. It was helping me with my bike, you know, because honestly, back in the day, juniors was, it was not a joke, but there was no proper category. We were racing in the middle of all the elites and we were barely qualifying. Like it was not so easy. And so I kind of got lucky with Jacko. Then the relationship between Blinky, Jacko, and I was great. Like we had a really strong friendship going on, and like pretty pretty solid uh, rivalry with Blinky too. But uh, surrounded by, honestly, I love this guy. I, I I fell in love with him, and I still love him because he's he's the chillest dude, most uh, caring person. Like I love him anyway. And then Jacko liked me too, and he felt in me that I had the thing he was kind of looking for because Blinky is not the guy who will set up his bike uh, for a week before a race. You know, he will go to the race, ride his bike, and leave. And I will spend more time on my bike and try to understand a little bit more. And Jacko felt that he could share his knowledge and maybe go a little bit further. And we did. So do you think it was more Jack pushing you to be more in tune with your bike or yeah. would you have kind of got to that place in any way? No, no, for sure. I was, I was a big fan of Blinky. So I was doing everything like Blinky <laughs> about my bike. Then Jacko just, he was trying to teach me and, 
and learn me like the the basics, the suspensions, and and um, it it really forced me with the telemetry to understand and to feel the benefits of uh, spending time on the bike. Because honestly, before 2014, I would say even 15, testing for most most teams it was not a big thing. No one was testing in winter, you know. And then now, like around 2014-15, we started to do a lot of testing, going to New Zealand, like spending time, and then it became a trend really quick. And I liked it, and I could feel a lot that the bike was improving, and then it was easier to go fast. So Jaco brought that to me for sure, and I think without him, I would be a little bit more puzzling like the Santa Cruz guy. <laughs> <laughs> so I think one of the things that people don't, really understand um i've seen you out in queenstown for like you said the past what four or five years now yeah, and true. so you make all this progress one year and then you come back and you test again and so what are you looking for like year to year like don't you just get the bike good and then you know well, leave it there Elliot, let me remind you that you have a giant <laughs> year after year <laughs> but we now i'm kidding i'm kidding but we have we have a lot of uh, evolutions every year from from the brand and especially when we we jump to specialize. So every time we race during the whole season, we give a lot of feedback and they try to give us the parts uh, at the start of the off season. Then we we have four or five months month to try. And so every time I go to Queenstown, I'm almost riding the same tracks, the the same things, you know, but uh, I always try to find the perfect setups or the things that are better or the things that were better. And the good thing about going there all the time is that I know how a good bike works in Queenstown. So it's really easy to, to get close to that feeling. And every year we get more efficient, you know. So it's pretty boring. I see every time I leave Queenstown, I'm like, fuck, finally. But... Uh, <laughs> But it's uh, a lot of information and for sure it's it's work, you know, it feels like work. So it's it's good for me. That's good. Okay, so I want to talk about uh, a couple of your memorable moments. Um, you're 25 with five world championships and now you have the World Cup overall. What was it like to finally, finally, finally get that overall? <laughs> Man, um, it was... It was honestly a moment where I I, I was going to give up because I was struggling all these years before, since my first year in Elite, where I got fourth, so it was good. But then it kind of went downhill from there because I was injured a lot. And every year I couldn't make it even close to the top spot. And um, and yet last year I was, I was on it, man. I was at my best every race pretty much. And I couldn't get away from Troy from and at the end from Amory. I was I was excelling in my level and I couldn't do better and Amory was beating me. So I was like, fuck, I'm never gonna win this thing. I'm I'm at my best and I cannot. So I was almost like giving it up and then and then I have a mental coach, like the team around me, they really wanted it too because they're in the same boat as me, they never had it. And we all kept uh, the motivation high and stuff and reminded me that the harder, the tastier. So I um, I really try to to keep the pace and, and don't crack, you know, because I was exhausted, too much stress, man. I was, I was stressed and in, until the last man on track, until the last fucking guy, Danny Hart, <laughs> I, was, I wasn't sure I was going to do it. And then for what, for a second... I, I I grabbed the overall, so it's a beautiful story. But for sure, it took uh, it took a lot of time, and it was really close that I didn't do it. I almost didn't make it happen. And the way the scenario was and stuff, it felt like a like a movie. I felt like I was in a movie, and I, and I couldn't really know what was gonna happen because it was changing every every second. So when it finally happened. It was such a big relief and such a achievement. I, I felt like I achieved something crazy. And and yeah, I was super proud of, of me and the team. Yeah, man, it was. It 
it felt like a movie watching it. I remember being at the bottom of, of Snowshoe and just being like, oh my God, that's too much. Yeah, for me too, imagine. For me. <laughs> you're uh, you're close with Amari as well. Did you, you, did you kind of feel for him? Like both of you guys, you know, were, yeah. were just, you know, it was so emotional for both of you guys at the bottom of the track. Yeah, I felt for Amari for sure. Everyone did. Like it's not possible to not have a, to feel a little bit, Sorry for the guy because he's been he's been perfect. He's been riding on the edge at many races and winning three of them. And on ah, the the other guy wins it for nothing. So I was actually so when Danny was doing his run, I think after the second split, he was second, Danny or third. Mm-hmm. So I was fourth. So I lost the overall at that point. So I was I went to Amore and I was like man that was so good thank you so much good job you you get the overall i know it's it's okay you know i'm gonna get it next year blah, blah, blah. and then by the time i was talking shit to amory danny went back to first on a <laughs> second to last bit so i was like <laughs> it was crazy <laughs> man it was for nothing it was going to be him on me losing it so i felt really bad for for him and and i feel like we both deserved it so it's it's okay because he got it in 2018, so he have one. He has one. But <laughs> for sure, I, I felt bad, and he's such a good competitor and, and a good friend that I I felt yeah I felt bad for him. Yeah, well, not too bad, not too bad. <laughs> no, 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 it's racing. It's racing, and if he would have won, if he would have if he would have won, it would have been the same, you know. So right, right. What do you think um, your success like? If you could put it down to one thing, what would it? What would it be last year? Honestly, it's it cannot be one thing, but I'm gonna to try to find the the best thing. Um, I would say maturity because um, I've had a lot of uh, obstacles in my way, injuries, uh, take the mechanicals, and then I've never been able to put this experience into action. And last year, I almost fucked it up in Fort William where I had a big crash and almost got injured again. But then it reminded me that I had to use my experience and all the season I I was riding smarter than before. And then that's a little bit what I think made the difference. Hmm. So it's uh, it's not your lucky socks? <laughs> no, man. Honestly, I, I had that before. And when the, once they stopped working, I fucking lost faith <laughs> <laughs> oh that's too good okay so i want to talk about um adapting a bit i think yeah. mental toughness is a huge part of the sport like what strategies do you use to build mental toughness well i don't think you can train mental mentality or mindset or whatever but you can for sure analyze it and uh adapt it like you say because it's all about the zone and if you let someone else like a photograph tell you telling you that you look insanely fast on the track then your brain's gonna believe this guy even though the guy doesn't know what he's talking about so then all these little things can get you out of the zone and it's a it's a process that i've been understanding year after year and now i really try to focus on what I know and the facts. So if I am winning the time practice, I know I'm fast. If uh, mm. I'm winning the qualifying or I'm 15 in qualifying, I know I'm fast or I know I have to work for the finals, you know? So I'm really trying to stay uh, focused on the facts and on what my, my team around me is telling, not on what Loris can say or Greg Mina or Sven Martin, you know, these people that... They, they want to be nice or they want to help or maybe they want to be a dick and talk shit to you, but they still fuck with your mind and I don't need that anymore. And that made a difference because I am doing Loic. I'm not doing a run because I heard something like, Blinky, this guy, fuck, back in the day, he was telling me so many bullshit things that I was, <laughs> I would try a crazy gap or something. Just because he told me he jumped it, but it was not even true. That was actually dangerous because I would have massive crashes. And I'll go down and I'll be like, Blinky, it's so loud. How did you do it? Ah, I never did it. Did you try it? Fuck yeah, but motherfucker. You know? <laughs> Things like this, you have to, to be careful and yeah, 
especially me, I, I am really sensitive to the look of other people or the judgment and not anymore. So it's good. <laughs> so is it about not talking to people or do you just have confidence? No, for sure. I talk a little bit less with people because I'm tempted to to talk and talk shit and hear shit, you know, but uh, I just I, I just have a filter now. I know when I have to pl- to plug my ears and listen or not. Mm-hmm. <laughs> so, what do you do just before the race or just before you get in the start gate to prepare? I try to think about the track on my head and try to move my head a little bit, flowy like a flowy way to the track in my head and and follow a little bit the the perfect pace I want to and breathe a lot to try to evacuate because when I, when you're in the start gate, I don't know about you when you were in the start gate, but you want to, you want to shit, you know, you want to <laughs> so you need to get a little bit away of that feeling and you need to get the, the, the thing in your stomach out. So I try to breathe and to relax, look at my mechanic and get like the last minute, uh, uh, warm feelings that I can find around me, you know? Yeah. 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 Do you have like a, a special song or like saying or anything that you do? No, actually, you know what? I never listen to music at the top of the track of the race. Huh. So I have a music for the, when I'm getting ready, I really like at the moment, like last year, I really liked the uh, going away from the offsprings. I don't know why, <laughs> but the vibe of this song and I don't understand the lyrics, so I don't know <laughs> what he's saying. <laughs> <laughs> But the vibe of the song just makes me like this song will be my flow, you know, will be my writing style. And, and I like to feel that in my body, my whole body and, and to get in the zone with this song. And then when I'm at the start, at the start, uh, warming up or getting ready, I just need quietness, you know, silence. (laughs) Does the, the sound of the trainers not like, I felt like that was the most nerve wracking thing ever. No, I like it. It's like everyone's spinning, and then you make more noise than the other one. So it's like, wow. <laughs> yeah, I feel like is that that noise and the beeps are like I have nightmares about those. Yeah, the beeps is actually so scary. I don't know why. <laughs> when you you hear that five beep, you like you know it's the time, and it's you don't have many chances, and it's it's one of them, and it's scary. Yeah, it's and it's the same dude, the the uh, the timing guy, the five yeah, seconds. No, it's the same Swiss guy, and, he's, and he doesn't care. He's doing his work. He doesn't even know who's winning the race, and you're yeah. like playing with your life here. And he's, he's... <laughs> he he actually said hi to me a little while ago, and I was like, yeah. "What? You know who I am? That's so wild." Yeah, maybe yeah, sick. That's cool. Good to know. <laughs> Okay, so talking about preparation, after all the hard work you did last year and this year, what's it like um, with the season being, you know, at least halfway canceled? Yeah, honestly, um, I'm crying right now. I don't know if you can hear it. (laughs) Um, It's weird. It's really weird because uh, I've been preparing it a little bit more serenely, if you can. Is that English? Uh, serenely yeah Yeah. you know like from the the confidence i gained last year i felt like i knew what i had to do this winter and then i did it and everything went well and the bike got some uh, evolutions that went like they were pretty fast and i felt better on the bike so i was like pretty pretty uh ready i would say but then as we got closer like a month before the race i was like oh shit i don't know if i'm ready then i really peaked and then trained harder and prepared everything better and then the last maybe the last week before the race actually we got the news that it was cancelled so I was building up the hype and the and the readiness really late and really high and then suddenly everything went down so I was like fuck that's a that's a that's a bad thing like it's it's annoying but then but every rider had the same issue because we were all ready. We were all fast and looking forward to that race. But that was not the worst because I felt like, okay, it's only loser. It's okay. We're gonna, we, we, it's, it was postponed at the time and I think it still is. So we will race there later. And actually later, there will maybe, there will maybe uh, be less rain. So I will be better, you know? So I was kind of mm-hmm. 
thinking about the positive and then uh, little by little all the races got postponed or cancelled and then I really started to realize that we train for nothing so all this preparation this hard work the time away from the family from the girlfriend or the the puke you have at training you know like all these things that make it hard was in vain because well we don't even know when the next race is and of course it's good to train and when it's not fully lost but still we we won't need it now and then it kind of felt wasted and and my whole my whole life now is a little bit about racing you know even my girlfriend's racing like we're all racing and all of that was taken away from us and then we had to stay home all this time and then we really felt like I don't know everything was shutting down and we were like back you know when you sometimes think about your life you're like fuck it's so cool I'm racing around the world I'm riding my bike every day almost uh, blah 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 and then suddenly we were all the same on the same level we were all confined at home and nothing to do so I was like wow this is hard and yeah I don't know it's it's really dep- depressing yeah yeah that's that's true yeah your girlfriend Melanie Deegan is a cross-country racer how is she doing right now well, she's doing a little bit better, I think, because she can still ride outside and stuff. But um, she was looking forward to the Olympics, Olympics, like a lot of people, I think. And it's her biggest dream, you know. It's the, something we cannot understand because we don't have it. We cannot dream about Olympics. But she has only one dream, I think, at the moment, and it was Tokyo. So she was working so hard in winter. And so the, the decisions of considering the first races which were uh, qualification for the olympics was a bit weird for her she was like damn i don't know how it's gonna happen now blah, blah, blah. so it was pretty blurry so and then actually when they canceled or postponed the olympics she was uh, she felt uh, relieved because she mm. knew it was going to be weird and some people were going to have more training than others and so she felt like it was a good solution and she had a pretty good time, I think. She's uh, she's less uh, struggling than me with uh, the head at the moment. So it's good. She's pulling me up. Oh, that's good. Yeah, because you guys, she lives in Switzerland? No, no, no. So we both live in Spain. Uh, like I'm I'm based in Andorra and I spend a lot, a lot of time in Spain in winter because it's warmer. And mm. when everything started, started to go wild in Europe, we both went to France at my parents, and then it went crazy in France too. Then she went to Denmark. So it's been almost three oh, weeks. Wow. She's in Denmark at home. Oh, got you. Wait, when did you move to Andorra? For money, man. <laughs> <laughs> when did that happen? Really? Um, ah, you said when. Sorry, I thought you said why. <laughs> oh, I mean, that, that makes sense as well. It's expensive there, though. Yeah, yeah, I, yeah. I moved there happen. last year. So early 19, I moved there. And it's expensive because it's a little bit small and there is not much space if you want to buy a house and stuff. But uh, the taxes are way lower, so you if you actually go to the restaurants, it's way cheaper than France and stuff. And for the tax, it's way better than France too, because in France, it's really strict and really uh, a lot of tax. And in Andorra, it's uh, way less, and people are uh, supporting you. The bank knows who you are. The bank is trying to give you the best deals and whatever. And then, you know, it's like a small town, and everything is cooler, honestly. So do you live near in that same area as where the World Cup track is? Yeah, yeah. I live, what, one, uh, two kilometers from the track. <laughs> no way. Yeah. <laughs> so it's like your home race now. Yeah, now it's like my home race. And uh, and uh, I actually didn't ride it this winter and or last winter, but I'm planning to pre-practice. It's really trendy at the moment, pre-practice. So I'm going to do it too. Yeah, I know. How do you feel about that? Man, did you see the beef I had with Brandon? No, I missed it. <laughs> what happened? Um, so, so I don't like pre-practice so much, but my team has have no. My team has been doing it in the past, and I've been following my team, so I've been doing it too. But I've never been a big fan because it reminds me of enduro when people just go a month before the race and they know every trail perfect and they smoke everyone. So I'm like. It's not so good, even though in downhill, you have a lot of runs on the same track, so you might be able to build up the speed, you know? But um, 
Brandon went to Lusa the week before the race, and uh, actually everyone pretty much went to Lusa all winter, but they kept the track closed because they wanted the track to be fresh, and that was smart from the Luzon people. Yeah. And um, and we all respected it. No one rode it. Even Fox, they had their testing there, but no one went on the track, so it was really cool. And then Brendan posted a video, I think, to be a little bit uh, exclusivity on Instagram and stuff, riding the track the week before the race. Even though we all knew it was postponed already, I was like, man, the track's closed. So I, I, I didn't say anything. I talked to my, to one of my friends in Lusa, and she was like, yeah, yeah, the track is closed yesterday. So he opened it for himself. We're a little bit mad. We need to close it again, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay, Brendan, I'm cutting you out because you always the cool. <laughs> no, but it's true. Honestly, French people, we are always in the middle of like mockeries and stuff like ah, French leads, French lines, cheaters, whatever. And then, and then there is one of them, you know? So I was like, okay, I'm going to call you out too. So I called him out and he was, he's really talented because he made me, in this scenario, he made me the dick because, <laughs> yeah, because it's so cool. And apparently, the track was going to be open anyway in two days' time. So it's okay, blah, blah, blah. So I was like, okay. So on Instagram, we went pretty crazy on the stories. And then we, we both calmed down after that and took them down. But so it's okay that he wrote it because it was going to be open two days after. But he was leaving mm. at night. So I said, okay. You wrote it, you did a day on it, it's okay, it's not going to change anything. So I, I, I just got frustrated and a little bit mad, but actually I know that when the race comes, we are, we were going to have the same the even ch- chances and I'm probably going to smoke him. <laughs> <laughs> I know, I always I always had mixed feelings about the pre-practice because I, I felt like... About it, actually. I Well, it, it's funny because I've only done... I remember I did this national at south africa back way back in the day um and i didn't like it because i felt like i peaked too early like i don't i don't like to get up to 100 percent speed and then just stay there i feel like if i can get my race run my finals run to be like my maximum run then it's better for me because like if i'm at 100 percent, then i'm once i get there i'm like it starts to get scary you know like just riding like that i know so but yeah it's uh it's it's a thing now so people are i understand it too because you want to get your bike dialed a little bit early and and teams have more money i would say to do testing and stuff so they send their riders and their staff and it's it's good but just i like the fact that loser kept their track closed and yeah. the people who with a little bit less money and stuff they cannot go they cannot afford it so it's this just digs the gap between the pro, the big teams, and the smaller ones. So, yeah, yeah, that's so true. I mean, it seems like everyone kind of does that Fort William National now, yeah. and there, especially because the track is so different, you have to get your bike set up. Yeah, 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 exactly. And actually, Fort William is one of the things that brought me to conclusions that I don't want to do it anymore because you go there, you ride this track, it's super scary after the the, the what the eighth run, and then you get. To- and then you just start getting you just start getting loose and then by the time the race happens i'm just uh, crashing all the time so i stop i stop <laughs> got out of there yeah yeah so i feel like relationships <laughs> yeah. are kind of a big deal for you how does like you and Meline balance being on the world cup circuit together and then like now being away and um, how do you guys support each other during the races yeah, I think you, you're right. I think relationships are a big part of what I, I like. But with Malena, it was uh, really easy at the beginning because it was the beginning and then we were like, it was fresh and stuff. And then the more it goes, the more it's kind of hard because we, we both get uh, a lot of uh, requests from the people. So at the races, we don't even have time to spend uh, with each other. So it's a little bit hard and uh, when we don't see each other so much at the races, then we go back home and then suddenly we're together. But prepare, like it, we don't get so much quality time together during the season. And yeah, it's, it's not easy to balance, but when we get time together, we really 
uh, try to speak about our deep feelings about the race or the week or whatever because we know uh, we know each other super well and and it's really good to feel that someone can hear what you have to say you know <clears throat> and um, yeah last year was super hard because she got injured in at home actually before Andorra and then I win I won Andorra and then I was on for the overall battle until the end and stuff and I didn't really have attention for her and then she really felt left aside and I didn't really see anything so at the end of the season actually the last two races the most important ones she started to call me out on what I'd never did for her since two months and and it was really like like she was right I was just on my in my bubble and I was doing my my downhill races and I didn't really listen to her problems to the struggles she had to come back to to the level and then you start having problems with other men riders who start to go around her, you know? So you're like, oh. <laughs> because it's a fucking circus, you know? Everyone know each other. And then the pretty girls, it's really easy for them. If they want, they can have adventures with different riders every weekend, you know? And yeah, yeah some guys who know it. And and I almost punched some people. And yeah, <laughs> now we're back, back on track, but it was a little bit <laughs> <laughs> yeah because i feel like it's so hard when you know one person is doing well um and then it, it can switch because you guys are both so good yeah true and i really understood that because and i'm bad because it happened to me before in 2018 she was still under 23 and she won her first world cup in south africa and my first world cup i dislocated my elbow in my first practice run so the contrast was really really there and i felt really bad like i didn't like it and i was i was jealous of her she was so successful and i was just down struggling with my elbow and and it was hard and then when it was the opposite the year after i was not even able to learn from what i've i was feeling so i think i was a bad boyfriend so yeah <laughs> but you've learned you're you're you've got it under control now i hope so <laughs> okay so uh, i want to ask you a few non-bike related questions oh, yeah. if you weren't racing what would you be doing actually it's a question that i i am uh thinking right now because we're not racing so i'm like what could i do and i think i would like to buy there's some really cool pages on instagram that i love to watch buy like old houses or properties or apartments and try to really put a lot of work to make them next level nice and sell them again and make money like this and then start doing better and better projects and why not one day like be rich about it you know yeah so are you crafty like would you do the work yourself <laughs> well yeah, that's the problem. I really like, I wish I was crafty, but I'm not. So I will need to surround myself with some crafty people and I will be the creative one, you know? <laughs> okay, well, what about, are you like, do you like design? Like, would you do the yeah. designs? Um, until my high school, I wanted to be a designer. I really liked, I was not necessarily talented or anything, but I really liked drawings and and writing stuff and doing things like this. And then racing happened and I didn't really have time to do a design school that allowed me to travel as much and stuff. So I let go. But every time I was doing internships and stuff, I was trying to speak with designers and try to work with them. And it was so cool. So I love that. Yeah, that's, yeah, because you did an internship at, um, <laughs> at Specialized. Is that something yeah. you did there? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I did what I'd 100% too before and, and I was trying to design like helmet bags and shit like that. And I just loved to see how easy these designers uh, were making their images in the head on the screen. They were doing so many crazy little tricks on the Illustrator as in Photoshop and stuff. And it was so cool. And I was like, fuck, I want to do that. And I was like, it's, it takes a lot of time to be great at this uh, software. But that I felt like I could have been all right and pretty good with it, and I love it. So that could be something I like. Did you ever think about doing that <clears throat> instead of going and racing bikes? 
No. <laughs> no, because <laughs> because racing bikes, when you think about it, and I know you have experience too, it's it's really cool. Honestly, let's be honest. We have <laughs> friends. We have uh, a small family with the team. We have crazy sensations when fans are screaming your name and you're riding and you're sending it. And then you get money for you get money from that. So I would give this this life for nothing else. I think. No. What about you? I mean, yeah, it is. I think you. I think it's easy to get caught in the bubble. I remember I had a couple years where I would just go straight from the airport to the venue, back to the airport, and somebody'd be like, "Oh, how was France?" I was like, "Uh, didn't really see much of it." But I um I remember I kind of realized that and when we had a break one year I would just take the train and then rent a moped by myself and just ride around like I went around Nice and like Cannes like everywhere just on my own just cruising around like trying to experience what you're talking about and and there is a lot of things we are able to do and it's so lucky we're so lucky that's so true are you watching uh wait what did you say (laughs) No, I was like, come on, admit it, admit it. <laughs> Wait, admit what? That we're lucky as? <laughs> You're preaching to the choir. Man, yeah. I'm like, I feel like, especially now, doing the doing the Red Bull stuff, I just go to the races and I get to talk to all my friends. That's even better, right? Yeah, that's even better. <laughs> you don't even get to get, like, crashes and stuff. You just hang out. I know, yeah. I'm just like, all right, go on, like, do good. <laughs> yeah, you're like, uh, here, I would say this is the way to do it, and then you don't even have to show us. You just say it, you know? Yeah, yeah. I'm just like, if I was racing, I mean, I would be doing it, but exactly. uh, sorry you guys are struggling so much. Exactly. So, yeah, we were talking about <laughs> Yeah, yeah, Netflix. Are you are you a big Netflix guy? Yeah, kind of, but at the moment I'm I'm actually uh, going back to basics and I'm watching from scratch uh, Big Bang Theory. <laughs> so, oh, that's that's like low quality TV. Yeah, 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 and and I even though it's in English and stuff, I can see they are really bad at acting and stuff. But I just like there's <laughs> some some moments in every episode that it's so stupid and I, I laugh, I laugh, I laugh. No. I, I don't know. I'm laughing really, hard, really loud, so I'm just loving it. And because my life is a bit boring at the moment, I just need that, you know. So that's my my current TV show, but it's for sure it sucks a bit. But oh, that's um, fun. Is, what about French? Like, what about you guys? Surely have some good French TV, right? Yeah. French cinema is the of, one. Yeah, yeah, we have a lot of good movies, but TV shows not many, and. Uh, one of the good ones I've been watching this winter was You. I don't know if you've seen that. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. I, I don't watch now, yeah. It's really good. It's a little bit uh, like weird, but it's really good. I like it. And no, I, no I'm not so big. At, no, 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 no. Actually, no. I'm trying <laughs> to read at the moment because I'm, I'm a bit lacking some words. What are you reading? Well, it's in it's in French, but it's a book called Socrate à vélo. It's like Socrate on the bike, which is a, a, a Greek philosopher from ages ago, and mm-hmm. it's a French cyclist, a pro cyclist who wrote the, the, the book, and actually is talking a little bit about how the what's the philosophical approach of uh, professional sports. And it's pretty smart, uh, pretty interesting because. He's talking about, especially in France, a lot of uh, mainstream people would qualify athletes as dumb and not so interesting and stuff. And he shows the other side of it, that even though we are um, focused on sports and it's not the most intellectual activity, we still uh, um, use a lot of mental aspects and intellectual things to get better. And, you know, it's pretty cool. Oh man, that's amazing. I feel like that's my whole like life is <laughs> that whole thing. I, I've always what you want to do actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Like I, I just I love that um I always say about athletes, it's not that there's not mental capacity there, but people aren't used to articulating it. Like how often do you really break down how you're going through a corner? 
Because if you had to explain that every single day, you would be able to articulate it really well. Whereas now yeah. you'd be like, you'd really have to think about it and say, oh, well, I guess I kind of dropped my outside foot. Yeah. Oh, yeah. right. Then I do this. You know what I mean? I know exactly what you mean. Like sometimes people ask you uh, an advice and you can't. You know, I don't know, man. Right, right. But it's not because you don't know it. It's just because like you don't talk about it all the time. But it's also some stuff, yeah, some some skills people have. It can be in biking or anything else that they just have to explain because people know how to do them, but there's not really a way to do it, you know? Everyone has a different way. Right, right. I do think that's... Do you think that there's one way to be like a great racer? Like a lot of people... I was actually talking about that. Um, I did that little video on Loris and like compared you guys runs yeah true. and like you can have one person that's really smooth you can have one person that's like danny like really wild and now he's getting a little bit smoother but like how would you explain that to someone who is it about the way that you want to ride or is there kind of one way to to go about things yeah no i think there is no there's not an, an unique way to do anything in, in this world there's not like you don't need to go to school and go to medicine school to be successful, you know, but for sure there is uh, aspects you need to learn and you need to, to get inspired from others. But I've always been a little bit different in my approach and I, even my style, you know, my style has always been chilly. Like I'm not doing anything. I'm, it seems like I'm going for a Sunday cruise, but I'm like a little bit like Luke show actually. But I'm actually trying hard and it's just my style. And some people have been building their career on um, talent. Some other people have been building their career on work. And I think you have a different, a lot of different options in uh, building up to uh, to the best level. And for sure, like when you when you did that video with Loris and I and Lenzerite, you see that we have a different mindset in the start gate and is trying to go for... Is trying is getting getting you know taking a shot to the win while I'm managing my run trying to win you know so you have a lot of difference right. to win and to to be uh, excelling at your sports and it's it's good like you have a different way what's your way I don't know yeah I always thought that um, for me like a lot of people are like oh I you know I I blacked out or like I don't remember it or whatever and my best runs. Or were there ones where I could tell you like exactly what I was doing? Like it really had to be deliberate about everything. Whereas like yeah. half a pedal here, go around this rock, break here, let off. Like, so it, it was more about like turning my mind on rather than turning it off. Yeah. Yeah. I, I think it's the way I do it too, because some people, they, they, they ride on the feeling kind of, and they don't even know what they're doing kind of. And I, maybe that's what you're doing. I prepare every end of, uh, like every other exit of turn, every breaking and stuff. And when I do it, it feels natural, but it's prepared, you know? Mm. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there is like different ways. Like Finn now is working way harder physically and stuff. And we'll see how it goes. And Loris is seeing a mental coach now. So we'll see how it goes. So yeah, there's people seeing that I'm seeing, like, Loris know I, I have a mental coach for, for years. And maybe he's trying it, and maybe it's going to be good for him. Maybe it's not going to improve. We will see, you know? What do you think the biggest benefit to that? Like, what, what are some of the things you would talk to your mental coach about? Well, actually, everything. It can be from my, my relationship with the girlfriend to uh, the relationship with Loris or Finn. That can be hard sometimes, and <laughs> the way the way I was writing, uh, um, I don't know the in, before qualifying and the way the way I wrote for qualifying, you know. So we debrief every day, and the guy just listens to what I have to say and gives me keys. And then with these keys, I open doors or not, but I have some keys so to to find solutions, and it's cool. But it's never easy. For sure. Right. What are, what's maybe one of the things that made the biggest difference? Like one of the one of the keys that you got, or you're like, oh, I use that all the time. 
Uh, there's nothing I use all the time, honestly. But one of the thing, I, I know, maybe one thing actually, is that I'm trying to give my brain uh, positive hormones. You know, when I feel like I'm staying alone in a in a hotel room or I'm being a little bit bored at the races or anything, I try to go out and meet Loris or or meet some people from the from the circuit or go to the track to talk to my team just to make my brain a little bit happier. And these little things just makes you go to sleep lighter and then wake up in a better mood and stuff. And I like it. Hmm. That's really interesting. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, I'm giving you all the secrets so we're going to come back to racing and win everything. <laughs> wait, what did, what did you say? I said I'm giving you some of my secrets so you're going to come back to racing and win everything. Well, it's funny because uh, I was gonna this year. I was like gonna go to Maribor and like do Maribor for fun. Yeah, man, fuck. <laughs> but uh, I haven't really been training, so I don't know how well that's gonna go. Oh. And now that it's well, now that it's if it if it's at the end of the year, I got all year. Yeah, true, true. You have to train a little bit. Everyone's training hard now. It's not a joke anymore. I know it's sad. Yeah. Well, you still have a lot of talents on one race, maybe. That's true. I can kind of just go for it. I feel like. <laughs> but yeah, on the bike, on the bike, for example, when I see you ride in Queenstown, like you're not on the same program as us because you don't have your mechanic and stuff. But I feel like you're surprised by everything we do. But I feel like everyone's doing it now. No. I think so. I think you know it's it's one of the things that I always thought was interesting, like coming from motocross, because. People never really gave the bike as much uh, respect as they should have. Okay. Um, and so I, I think for you guys, like you guys have been doing it for like such a long time. And I just think it's really, really cool because I think there's a big difference between um, <laughs> there's a big difference between like going and testing and going and like exploring, you know, yeah. because what you guys do is more similar to what like a motorsports team would do to where you're you it's not like you're trying to dial in a setup and say like okay i need to turn my rebound this way or whatever because this uh because this bump or whatever in this turn it's more to me about um saying like what does the bike do when you do this or like what would it do if we change this and that and that way when you go to a track you can say, yeah, we have some tools to handle these yeah. situations. Exactly, exactly. I think it's 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 the the step the sport took in the last five years, maybe. So it's good. Yeah, totally. I yeah, I definitely think that you guys were kind of the pioneers of that Woo! because just I like it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, yeah, just having been around like you know it's some different testing sessions and talking to different people i think there's a there's a disconnect in what like testing means for different people and yeah no so. yeah. and then the thing the thing is we have this uh this chance to be on on the brand that only has one team you know so they have time for us they have a factory that can respond really quick to what we need and a brand like rockshox or sram they have uh Folks, it's the same. Um, they have maybe six, seven teams each, and they cannot spend time. You know, they do some cool testing camp in the winter, but I don't even think it's that productive. You know, so I think we're lucky. Right, right, yeah, for sure, yeah, because you guys, I guess now have like pretty much custom everything. Yeah, yeah, for sure, everything's custom. Jacko goes to Sweden to the Olin's uh, like HQ and puts the run of the data on the dyno so everything is analyzed in sweden then they change stuff like it's really good in two three weeks we can have a totally different uh, shock so it's it's a it's a chance yeah that's crazy yeah does jacko do that or like are you the one that's asking for a different shock no i'm asking for stuff and we debriefing with jacko after testing and then jacko knows exactly what he needs to get to what I want and it goes sometimes, not all the time, but it goes to Sweden and debrief with the people there and see what they also think about the situation. 
and then they both kind of come to a to a range of products so they always make three four different options uh, going into the directions we want and then we test again mm, wow that's awesome <laughs> yeah right. um okay so i have some listener questions here yeah jj kathy 24 says how do you have so much confidence whoa that's a funny question I, do you feel like you have a lot of confidence do you? <laughs> well i think from the outside person you would have to have confidence to go as fast as you go yeah, yeah no i think you need uh, you need confidence especially in downhill because if you want to push the limits and you don't have any confidence then you don't push anything but um i would not qualify myself as a confident person, especially hanging out with Finn and some other people who actually, <laughs> well, no, it's not, it's not uh, bad. Like I, I'm not saying this in a bad way, but they really know what they are able to do. And they, they have, they are so confident. And most of the time they are not surprised when they do well and stuff. And sometimes I'm still surprised and it's hard to build confidence and especially uh, for me, because I've, like I said, I've always been uh, coming back from injuries and struggling and listening to what other people say and just, just yeah, just questioning myself a little bit too much. And sometimes I, I don't feel super confident, but to build it, I always try to to listen to the people that know me and to to listen to what they think of the situation. Then if it's in the same uh, mindset as me, then we're on the good way, then I'm going for it, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Finn is a very confident person. (laughs) Um, Okay, so Felix CRX asked, do you think it's a disadvantage being in Europe where there's a more strict lockdown? Fuck yeah! Man, I'm seeing videos of Kiwis riding their bikes, of Alan Green filming or whatever. Like, I'm, I'm, I'm getting mad in here. Honestly, it's like, it's like being in jail and you're not. And then they are riding. And even though there's no races and stuff, they still get the excitement and the, the feelings and they build speed and they don't lose anything. And I feel like I, every day I'm losing sensations and skill and commitment and i'm getting crazy about it so yeah it's really hard to see other people still kind of free and it's it's mean but i really hope you guys will have big confinements i love it okay uh no, 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 I know, no, we, no, no. <laughs> okay, Dean Lucas says, if you, Greg Minar, and Brooke McDonald were in bed, who would be Big Spoon, Middle Spoon, and Little Spoon? <laughs> um, okay, so I think I will put, so all of, all of us, like three, or Dean Lucas is included? <laughs> that one's up to you. Okay, let's say he's included. Okay, so I would say that Brooke is the big spoon because I don't want to mess with Brooke, you know, I want him to have him in the back. Then I'm the second, so I'm in Brooke because I, I want to feel safe with Brooke, but I want to hold uh, Greg Minow's back because I want to show him that I'm, I, I'm, you know, I'm, I don't know how to say, I'm having him, you know, I'm like, okay, that's you, man, don't worry. <laughs> And then Jin Lucas can be laying on top of all of us because he loves cuddles and yeah, let's give him that. <laughs> oh my God. I love it. <laughs> okay. Well, that's all the questions I have. Thanks oh, so really? much for coming on, Loic. <laughs> well, you're welcome. Thank you for having me. I know it's sad with the language and stuff, but I had a good time. Thank you, man. No, your English has gotten really good. So it's great. Thank you, bro. Thank you. <laughs> good luck for your confinement and i actually don't wish that you get like us it's pretty shit yeah no i i hope i hope everyone comes out and you guys get to uh get outside soon yeah, we will we will all right everyone thank you so much and let's talk soon keep in touch man okay see ya see you mate
I'm sorry. I'm still laughing about the spooning question. Um, yeah, so season one, we're talking about origins, and that is one of the best origin stories I've ever heard. You hear Loic, just the, the serendipity of him getting matched up with Jack and and growing up with Laura is just so cool. I hope you guys enjoyed listening as much as I enjoyed the conversation. So next week, we have a double header. We'll have Kate Courtney um, on the XC side and Brooke McDonald on the downhill side. This will be uh, just, yeah, I mean, yeah, leave it there. Reggie Radio is produced by Brianna McShane, and we will see you next week. 